0: This is a personal response in part of my study of John chapter 17. What we have here is the most highest love letter in all of history that makes even the song of Solomon's look like a mere crush, a childhood fantasy. Here we have love in its fullest light to show the face of the Father. The display of love is so crushing And powerful. We tend to miss it through the prayer's intensity of being one. This too is a product of love. However, the love that is being illuminated in this prayer is nothing short of what God the Father did when he created the world and everything in it. Love so mighty and so true, the songwriter says, that we must so step into the world Step into this world of love, a more aptly put step into Him who is the measure of that love. And by all His immeasurable grace, keep in step with His Spirit. To be in God is to be in love, and with all fullness a representation of love that merits our soul's best songs, that faithful service to Him belongs. Love so overwhelming in his height that only God has knowledge of for it. It is God himself. This prayer could rightly be called the blueprint of the Son of God. For it gives us our maker's manifest destiny of the Son he brought into the world to save the world. If there has been a greater reason to love God with all one's heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, it is not recorded in the Holy Word or elsewhere found for that conclusion. As Christians, we are not just producers of love but heirs of him and co-heirs with him who is altogether lovely, what manner of expression should we then exude in the highest of all measure? Love, his love, should be in us in such a measure that it forms a cloud about us by the indwelling presence that fills every expressive capacitor to show this love from God that transcends the world. The world should so smell Christ in us, as the sweetest fragrance coming from afar, off as well as near, a precious anointing that has been dearly paid for, showing to the world what fragrance we have been baptized into, what love has been broken over us, and with whose stripes we are healed. This love that is from God should exist in us as it exists in this prayer. Love that flows from the Christian and shows to the world how much we are in love with God. Our love must not fail here. Our love for God should destroy everything in us that will not allow us to love like God. Herein is the test. Whether it is of the love of God, Is God's love made completely revealed, exalted, renewed, and portrayed by this thought, by our every activity that I am doing? If one can quickly answer yes, and feel no conviction, but totally acceptance through the Holy Spirit, then, and only then, is He born of God. Our activity is called to be in the same measure that we are born again in that we are supernatural agents that give evidence to show how powerful God's love is, in that how much He has transformed us into the image of Christ. The awesomeness of this prayer by the Son in His final hour is as great as His life and light. I see Him as one who has come from the Father, full of grace and truth. I see him as he has revealed himself as one who loves the Father and does exactly what he sees and hears from his Father of the heavenly lives. Jesus gives us here the clearest portrait of himself that from his Father gives us here the clearest portrait of himself that I cannot and must not fail to see the fullest light of the Father in him, as he prays for the church and every believer. His words echo alive in me as I read them, as I hear them, as if I too was but a stone's throw away. In this prayer, one is a witness as Christ's final freedom is coming to a closure and where the events will carry Him to the cross and back to the Father and ours. One can see that at this final activity, He prays not for Himself, but for us, for all believers, and for each individual Christian. In this prayer, I can hear Christ praying for me in my day and in my generation upon the earth. This prayer transcends time and page. To burst forth from the Holy Bible, to quench the thirst from a dry and weary world, all I have to do is to speak to the rock that is Christ. This overflowing well of everlasting life comes springing forth, cascading like a the great niagara falls in such torrential floods to cleanse every spot and wrinkle from my soul here christ's love for me is seen not only from him but generating in like measure from my abba father as well this love that is so faithfully producing in me the power of god into salvation i see the father in the same great capacity as i see his son for jesus always admonished us if you have seen me you have seen the father so in the same sensory perception if we intimately know christ then it stands to reason we intimately know the father as well this prayer comes from the far- this prayer comes from the heart of the father for truly that is where christ has proceeded from Is it any wonder why the Father's love for the Christian is so powerfully and perfectly portrayed in Christ? The name that Christ is given speaks to me as one who is dearly loved in the same measure that the Father loves the Son. He also loves me, not just because I believe in His Son, but that He has called me into His sweet fellowship through His Son. The Father's love is so potently displayed here that it quickens whatever I thought about Him before. Not that I didn't already know this, yet here I see it through Christ's perfect love for me and Christ's great love for His Heavenly Father that He demolishes every barrier between His Father and I by taking my punishment, my hell. Here I see the Father in unveiled glory. For Christ has not only torn the curtain in two, but has totally removed it to reveal the face of the most glorified or gloried light, the Holy of Holies, where none could go except without blood, and that's only once a year. But praise to the Lord of glory. He sent his Son to so portray himself that there was no veil to hide any ray of the Father's glorious face. Here I can see the Father's love for me, that where only before it was cast in the Old Testament and in the personality of the Father in the New, where before it trickled, where before it stood in the background and rumbled from a holy mountain in the desert, where before it was eclipsed by the sun. Here the sun shows the Christian that his love for him is in the exact same representation of the Father's who is in heaven. And sadly to say that it must be the Christian's exact representation as well. The church has failed in its devotion to the Father, as it has portrayed the love for the Son. And here we see that it was the Father's love all the time. Oh yes, let us not take away from the Son, yet we praise the Father so very little. And we give all the glory of what the Father has done to the Son. We need to show our highest adoration for our Heavenly Father in sending His Son into the world so that we might have the fullest light portrayed of Himself. We see God the Father in His truest form, that of providing for us that which we could not provide for ourselves. Everlasting life. And if this was not enough, He has given us the ability to be conformed to the image of His Son or more so like himself what kind of love is this what display of love is this what fullness of love is this that we can only come from god the everlasting father wonderful counselor and prince of peace the highest caliber of love comes from this portion of scripture in which we see christ dot it's Christ's desire for us to be one, one with the Father, and one with each other, that we might bring glory to God by this activity. Here is where we fail most miserably and most horrendously, for we do not possess oneness with one another, and horribly we are not even one in our own denominations, which are an abomination to Christ's prayer here in John chapter 17. Yet we are not even one even in our individual churches. The love of many shall wax cold, the scripture says, and the more I see the church's abomination of oneness within Christ, the more I believe this was a prophecy about the church of his body. For it is appalling, how we say we love one another, even in our own individual churches. Yet this is the greatest hearsay of the church. That we say we love God, but hate people. We boast how great our wealth is, yet we are not rich in love towards one another. We proclaim with the greatest voice, we have the fullness of God. Yet we are lacking in love for those who are daily dying around us. If we love God as much as we proclaim that we do, the world will know it. As such, they shall be our judges of how much we love one another. The church today is so powerless, it needs to go to the great physician for cleansing of this cancer that has so invaded, divided, causing the body to war against itself. We need to be one with the Father, one with the Son, and one with the Holy Spirit. In the same measure that we are one with one another. And that in the capacity that we love one another as we love the Father that begot us in Christ's name. The name that we love one another. The name that the Father gave Him whereby He Christ might glorify his heavenly Father by how much we love, by how much we are one, and how we love one another, to be one with one another, and with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That the glory of Christ rests within us, not in a fragmentary portion which would be great indeed, Not in a miniature version, which would be greater still. However, as Christ meant for his body to bear the fullest measure of his love. That as we are in him, we will bear the likeness of the one who is from God. Not in an ability that might be seen as being produced by us, but which only can be produced by the indwelling Christ. We fail. Because we do not produce the glory of Christ in the measure that he portrayed. For here, sweating the greatest agony over in that we may be of the same measure. We fail because we have failed to produce the glory of Christ in the fullest measure of his joy. That is the glory of the Father. That he gave for us to radiate in the same measure as he radiates the Father. We fail because we have not produced the glory of Christ. In the measure that Jesus sanctified himself for us. We as Christians have a caliber of love that is so distinguishable from the world. It is of another kind, another realm, for it is who God is, love. Christians are more than vessels filled with love. They are pieces of love, in that they are cut from the rock that is Christ, and so are in the same measure the quality that He is love. We are love. Christians cannot fail to be love else they are not Christians. This is not losing one's salvation, if one never had it to begin with. The hallmark, the distinguishing characteristic, the witness that we are born of God is twofold. First, it is that the Holy Spirit bears witness of our faith, that of a cleansed nature, a new life, and that life declares in how we love one another. No other quality defines us so. If it does at all, it does in perfection. For this is by, be ye perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. He is perfect love. The Word defines God is love. God is holy. Therefore, the Lord God Almighty is holy love. Every action He does carries a classification to His people, those called by His name. God is unchanging or immutable. He is eternal. Therefore, what God is, He always is and always will be. Jesus speaks of His joy and that he prays that the disciples would have the fullest measure of that joy within them. What is this joy that he speaks of as pleasing the Father? It is doing the things that please the Father in such a measure that it is full, complete, and enduring. Jesus' joy produces the fruit by which he is known. This is manifested in the fruit of the Spirit yet in another application of the understanding that we have had previously. When we are housed by the fruit of love, it is love that we have in experiencing the intimacy with God the Father. This love producing to the world our love for Him. A love that reciprocates reciprocates, excuse me, reciprocates in the same measure that it is best that it is bestowed in full measure in a complete abundance and a capacity that shows that this all-surpassing love is from God and not of ourselves. But it is by grace that this love has been weighed and poured out upon us, thoroughly mixed, immersed, to be thoroughly dyed with the fruit, if in fact That we have been crucified with Christ. What kind of world would we now possess if we would cast our whole existence upon this prayer? That we would become the exact representation of this prayer. The church we see today would be transformed by this high priestly unction. Sinners, not merely converted, but changed into an irrepressible hope. Christians that are so dedicated to the cause of Christ that the world would see the very glory of God resting upon them. Christians burning like the seraphim in glory, radiating the love of Jesus Christ, and fully being persuaded that to die is gain. To the Christian still abiding in this world, there is nothing more alluring, nothing vastly wonderful, nothing expediently beautiful, nothing intrinsically worth possessing of any material in this life, but that soul which is nearest to the edges of hell, for which, like we were, snatched from the very flames of hell hating the very smell of its decrements, seeing the only light that is good, and the only love in the wo- all the world as one that is reciprocated to humanity in producing one more testimony for the love of Jesus Christ. That the only good and wholesome activity is producing one continuously increasing volume of whales newborn Christians. The only smell worth creating is the sweet aroma of a heart-stricken spirit in a great contest of wills for the souls of dying men and women across the surface of this bleak world. That the world would be seen in its contrast as the blackest night being invaded by the purest, holiest, and loveliest light bent on destroying every stronghold that the darkness possesses. If the church would totally and truly sanctify themselves with this prayer, then and only then will the world see Christ unveiled in the holiest of endeavors we would see a body of people so overwhelming that the foes of darkness flee from our face. For it would be the face of the unveiled Christ and more so of our Heavenly Father. If the church would so sanctify itself by thoroughly immersing themselves in the meditation of this prayer, the church would have no need for anything, for the church could possess everything and everyone. We would empty hell of its prisoners that are straightway flocking to enter in. Instead, we would send such a quantity of a mass exodus that would make the biblical story seem small in comparison and but a trickle of all the hosts. That we be going to the land of canaan the greatest responsibility of christians is to act like christ for our only for only christians can show forth the glory of christ her lord and savior we have been given to show a very great response to his inward ability If each Christian would repent of their lack of love towards each other and come to the cross which is sufficiently supplied with great immeasurable boundless grace and receive forgiveness of this great sin against the body of Christ, this lack of love for one another and this lack of respect and this lack of oneness to reveal the glory of our risen Savior. If Christians won't wake up to this awesome caliber of the high calling in Christ Jesus, then surely He will spew us out of His mouth. For we are worse than bile and contemptuously so. That Christ will place us away from him and allow the devil to destroy this harlot church. The love presented in these verses are so staggering. We could almost not believe it if these words were not from Christ alone. It would be inconceivable. And one could easily be dismissed as a fanatic. However... As we move through the story, there stands the proof that God the Father loves us as He does His only begotten Son. There stands the cross. Without it, this love story is believable only to the few and not the whole for no proof would stop us in downplaying these words of Jesus. We could easily dismiss the whole story if it were not for that wooden scenery that bars our attempts at futility by saying it didn't happen or it wasn't so. The cross stands as the proof of God's love. Like an empty tomb, it is the proof and the possessing Without the cross, John chapter 17, is not very promising. With it, we are loved like the only begotten. To have Christianity without a cross or an empty tomb is to not have life that is worth expressing. For the love of God is gone from the scene, and we are without hope. And as Paul admonished, we should be pitied above all men, For we believe in hopelessness, and our faith is the greatest exercise in futility. The church today is not the church that Jesus has called for us to be. It may exist in small patches here, a small cluster there, though truthfully and most tragically it does not exist in any one congregation. And definitely not in one denomination. The church is in such a deplorable condition that if Jesus does not come soon, will cease to exist. The land of the sin age is upon us, and we have accepted it with open arms and call it good and acceptable in the name of the living God. We even applaud such deplorable conditions as we delight in their activities, for we do them ourselves. We sanction the very degrading nature of it. We wonder why the church does not grow. Our hearts are broken, but for the wrong reasons. We say it is because this is the age in which we live. We give every excuse and make our prayers list long and longer and our burdens upon one another greater and weightier, thinking that this will bring people into the church. We complain, we nag, we whine, we shudder because one church is flourishing. And we give reasons why. And this not because God is visiting his people. Is, is God glorified in any of this? For truthfully, there is only one to blame for the dis- disintegration of the church, sin, in its people. Yes, there are churches flourishing, and we must praise God for that. However, not as Christ meant for them to flourish. The reason is that the world is not changed, not transformed. For the one true church is a world transforming entity, the body of the living God. She moves like the titans in the sci-fi movies. There is nothing that can stop her, and all the forces so arrayed against her are but buzzing insects compared to the power of her weaponry. She conquers and destroys the works of the enemy. No power avails against her or stops or weakens or show her continuous victorious army till all is still and quiet before the Lord of glory. There is no prayer that has ever been prayed like this one. There is no greater desire from God that his children should represent this prayer extinguishes the voice of the one crying in the wilderness and is replaced with the high calling of christ jesus our lord and savior the church's one true empowerment lies within these 26 verses this is the church of the living god any other caliber shorter than this is not nor could be representative of what Christ was shortly to do on the cross of Calvary. The church that fails in one point of this prayer fails in all of them. For the church that does succeed in this prayer will draw all men to Jesus, for this is the very embodiment of the living God. Men and women have formed churches out of creeds and doctrines of far lesser and ignoble purposes, and all are sin compared to this body of work. So displayed here, for all doctrine, no matter where it may exist, falls short of these holy words. We then, who hold such views, should waste no more time but quickly fall at the feet of Jesus to ask forgiveness of what what we have done to his body, the one true called out church. We come completely, we completely examine. As for any other so-called organizations, we have fallen short of the glory that is given in this verse for the church to shine. Woe unto them that tread upon the blood of Christ and make his sacrifice powerless and his great love, something unfit even for those who so desperately need it for the salvation of their souls. The crucified in Christ lifestyle is one that is diametrically opposed to the modernistic Christian lifestyle that has invaded our churches, that that it has caused the severest drought in the Spirit, and possibly the bringing in the ice age of the church. We truly cannot compre- comprehend the ramifications that have been produced through the non-crucifying participation by the body of Christ, that which demands that the flesh must die, For the sinful nature to be eradicated, so that its members are alive in Christ and separated from the world through being in the body of this one whom God has sent to sanctify us to himself. The church has not only lost her first love, but she has so promoted a lifeless exchange, a bloodless sacrifice, a polluted sacrifice, a cup of demons, and a cup of whoredom to be brought into the church and call it good, righteous, and holy. The sanctified lifestyle is one which so proves to the world our love for God and His Savior's meritorious death. Burial and Resurrection That through grace we are saved, and this not of ourselves. It is a gift from God. This is not cheap grace, but grace that calls a man to come and die, that the salvation which one must procure can be found only by this exchange. Life for life, blood for blood, eye for eye, showing forth that in order to possess eternal life, one must be put to death for one's own murderous activity, nailing Christ to the tree of Calvary. God has put us to death so that when he sees the blood, he will pass over our house and not eternally separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. The Christian cannot give it anything less. For there's no payment one can make except the death of one's nature, mind, body, and spirit. So that the righteousness of Christ can be seen in such a measure that nothing hinders him who sent who sent from God to do the works of God through us. And we'll talk about part two at a later date.